Hey, hey, hey. It is office hours on a Friday. It's thankful Friday. And we got the best guest to start with the gratitude Friday. He's an incredible doctor from Stanford University. I always mention uh, Dr. Greg Hammer. I have to mention at all times whenever I have a Stanford person with us that they rejected me twice for undergrad and hospital. So, uh, I, and even worse, my two younger brothers both uh, got into Stanford and turned them down uh, to go to Harvard and Penn. And I think they did it intentionally so they could say that they it was their backup school. And uh, there's no sibling rivalry in my family, nonetheless. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Don't feel um, badly, David. I don't think that I would have been accepted into Stanford for uh, <laughs> undergraduate nor for medical school either, even though I've been a professor there for 25 years. That's beautiful. I know I tell them I get to speak there now, which is really a, a, a good yeah. uh, consolation prize uh, that I can participate in what I think is one of the best uh, institutions on earth. Um, but I, I'm so intrigued by your book. You know, initially on its surface, pain with uh, gain without pain you know, I'm like, well, happiness handbook for healthcare professionals. But when I understood what gain meant, it really became in alignment with uh, my mindset and my heart set and, and my mission uh, in life. And so I want to start with a question about your relationship with pain, uh, because as my life has evolved, pain is uh, something that I think has been a catalyst to my mindset and heart set when I created a relationship with it. Um, and for you, how has pain evolved in your relationship with pain and how has that impacted the gain portion of it, which I'll allow you to kind of give the acronym to everybody. Sure, David. First of all, it's great to be with you. So I uh, um, look forward to our conversation. Gain is an acronym that stands for gratitude, acceptance, intention, and non-judgment. And I think those are really the four pillars of our mental and spiritual health, much the same as sleep, exercise, and nutrition form the tripod for supporting our physical health. Um, so I'm a longtime uh, practitioner of something called Advaita or popularly known as non-duality. Um, you know, I think basically we're all inexorably connected uh, we're essentially all made of the same stuff, which is called consciousness. <clears throat> but as far as your question, uh, pain is a really interesting phenomenon. Pain is part of life. Life is full of joy, but also pain and suffering. Um, there's a formula in the book, which is suffering equals pain times resistance, which is sort of a, a play on uh, a physics principle. But essentially, we have pain as part of our life. Everybody's got something. Everybody has pain and suffering. And to the extent that we don't feel it at any given time personally, we can certainly look to the world for an abundance of pain and suffering. But suffering equals pain times resistance means that the pain is uh, part of life. And it's really our resistance to it that magnifies the suffering that it causes. So if we can learn the A in game, which is acceptance, and recognize, again, that uh, as uh, uh, we all know, we need to discern between what we can change and what we cannot change, and we need to accept what we cannot change. And that certainly goes broadly for many of our experiences in life. And so that's what acceptance is all about. Let's open our arms, open our hearts to the pain and suffering, let it in, merge with it, 
and we find out it's not as bad as we thought in most cases, and the suffering, therefore, is minimized. So that's a quick and dirty thing about pain, and it's uh, my relationship with pain in my life, and, and of course, like everybody, there's been enough of that. Yeah, Greg, I, I love the, the way that you're positioning this. And as I you know, pre, you know, perused you know, what we were going to be talking about today, uh, it brought up to mind you know, my, wife's di- uh, my wife's death uh, about 11 years ago, 12 years ago. And I, I came upon a book, and, and I knew this writer sometime before that, but I really started reading it again, uh, Michael Singer's work. Um, and I don't know if you're familiar with Michael Singer, the untethered soul and the, uh, the surrender experiment. Um, but the idea of acceptance, yeah. And yeah, first of all, gratitude, uh, when I was able to move through the grief process and I was very intentional, and this is where I'm going to go with this question is intentionality as part of your gain model. Um, I was, uh, yeah, I was curious about how I could not avoid the, 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 uh, the grief process, but also how could I uh, not be captured by it so that I was kind of you know, held back literally. And it seemed to be that acceptance was you know, a major part of that. It just is what it is. It is what it is. But the gratitude was really interesting as a part of that process. Uh, so moving into being grateful for what was, what is now, and what could be as a consequence of that. So that gratitude really began to un- un- unbuckle some things for me. And as I moved into the process, and this is where I want to ask this question here, I had some very specific uh, in, uh, intents in mind. And I'd be curious for you in terms of your model, what intentionality actually, what role intentionality plays in the gain model? Well, that's beautiful. First of all, my condolences. I lost my son about four years ago. And, you know, of course, I went through the various stages of grief, but Gratitude actually came to me with respect to his death as well, because he was a part of my life for 29 years, and I'm grateful for that. And we can choose whether to dwell on the negative or the positive, um, whether we want to uh, dwell on the pain and suffering excessively or not is really a decision that we make. And so uh, there's a couple of really important things about the way we're hardwired, I think, uh, Blaine. And, and and they are one, we have a negativity bias. We tend to hold on to the negative and forget about the positive. Mm-hmm. And there are just so many examples of that in our life uh, every day. And I tell some stories in the book about that. So we have a negativity bias. And the other thing we have that seems to be hardwired into our thought processes is that we're obsessed with the past and the future in ways that are maladaptive. So, for example, it's adaptive to consider the past when it comes to savoring our positive memories and uh, learning from our mistakes. So we do have to acknowledge our mistakes which have occurred in the past. But beyond that, our ruminations over the past really lead to shame and regret and remorse. And so with regard to a loss of a, a spouse or a child or another loved one, it's really a decision that we make about how to manage that. Um, I think we do need to open our hearts and embrace it. We do need to experience the pain. But beyond that, we really decide whether we want to take a positive or a negative approach to dealing with it. And the intention, so the gratitude is, is primary. I'll just say that I think as an example of how gratitude is obviously intrinsic to happiness, you know, 
we, we may both know people who are blind or otherwise physically disabled and happy. We certainly have lots of examples of people that are poor and happy, but you will never see somebody who's ungrateful and happy. And I think that little thought experiment clearly underscores the, the central nature of gratitude and happiness. And that's why the G in gain is first. And talked about acceptance. Intention means that as we have a negativity bias and obsession with the past and the future, we can use our intention or purposefulness to be more positive and to be more present. And I love John Kabat-Zinn's definition of mindfulness, as, and I'm paraphrasing, uh, it's the awareness of the present moment on purpose without judgment. So we bring our thought processes and our experience to the only moment we really ever truly experience, which is this one. And we do so intentionally. So we're not just being led around, but we're making decisions. We're taking an active role and we do it without judgment. And that's the end in game is, is non-judgment. I'll give you just a quick example of the power of intention. And I know that, that we can all come up with lots of examples, but there's a program at Duke University called Three Good Things. And basically, you can sign up for that program online and you pledge to simply remember, think back on, or write down three good things that happened to you during the day. And through following the participants in the study with survey science, the investigators have shown that just simply thinking of three good things before we go to sleep helps us sleep better and it makes us happier. So that's a choice we make. Can we do three good things before we go to sleep as we're turning down the bed linens or what have you? Doesn't take any time at all. Of course we can choose to do that. And that makes a huge difference in the way we experience life. So yeah. gratitude, acceptance, intention, and, and non-judgment. We could talk about non-judgment all night as well. You know, yeah, I, 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 I could, yeah, 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 David, I'm all over this one. <laughs> go for yeah, it. Well, my, my whole mission. I knew we wouldn't have enough time uh, as well because, you know, obviously this right on point with our mission, with everything that we do and empowering people to be happy. And, you know, I take it even to a simpler test. You know, I know we had mentioned how I was rejected by the Ivy Leagues. Uh, I think if you just say thank you before you go to bed, you don't even have to list out three things. If you simply think thank you before you go to bed and when you wake up, you'll have an extraordinary exponential uh, happiness uh advantage in life. And I teach people, I think the interesting thing about that, it's a lot more difficult to do that every day than we anticipate. And I have a gratitude challenge that I give and I tell people all the time, who here thinks that they can say thank you before they go to bed and when they wake up for 30 straight days to at least establish a habit. Everybody raises their hand and then I surprise them and tell them, number one, half of you won't say thank you tonight. By tomorrow morning, another half of you won't say thank you. And with three days, Almost all of us will stop saying thank you. In fact, I became very intentional about my gratitude practice and it took me nine months and I'm an extremely consistent and disciplined person. It took me nine months before I wouldn't forget one time within 30 days uh, and I had to start over to do it for 30 straight days. So it's a lot more difficult. Um, I would change the title of your book. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking at it and I love gain without pain. But the happiness handbook for healthcare professionals is too limiting for me. I think you should have put and others. And, you know, being a marketing expert, I know why, especially concerning your expertise and the genre and industry that you are known for. Uh, but I would have preferred you put and others on there because I can't see one thing that you're teaching or that you write about that is not applicable to everyone. 
Am I correct in that assumption? Or is there some distinctions between healthcare professionals other than Blaine and I or anyone else in the world? No, I, I really appreciate that point, David, and thank you for that. Um, I do have, <clears throat> excuse me, another book already written, which is a primer on gain without pain for everybody. And I'm working on the third book, which is Gain Without Pain, the Happiness Handbook for Teenagers, which is really probably geared for their parents and teachers. So, uh, yes, there, there will hopefully be more books for different groups. The difference is really limited to the storytelling. So, you know, the book is laced with stories. I think that's uh, entertaining, and I think we all learn through storytelling. And so the stories have a lot to do with my experience in the healthcare area, but the principles are the same for everyone. And I think even now I'm being asked to uh, give interviews already about the Simone Biles circumstances. And um, again, the effect of stress on all of us is much more similar than it is uh, disparate. So uh, the twisties, I think, is something that we can all relate to when we think about it. But, um, uh, you know, the game principles are for everyone in every circumstance. And you, you talk about the challenge of being grateful every evening. I would just challenge people to do a brief game meditation every morning. It could be as little as three minutes, and I go into that in detail in the book. And then these principles of gratitude, acceptance, intention, and non-judgment are more accessible to us all the time. So we can be walking down the hallway in the hospital or at the office and remember to be grateful. And I think if we establish this habit, as you suggested, uh, it's really so minimally time-consuming and so wonderfully beneficial to us uh, that we can practice these elements throughout the day. And that's, and that's really my intention. That's wonderful. Dr. Hammer, uh, that franchise model worked very well for a friend of mine and Blaine's, Jack Canfield. Uh, yeah. he, did, he did very well with the, with the franchise yeah, model. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, so stick to it. You have uh, our endorsement and our support uh, because I can't, uh, I could never, I've studied physics, quantum physics and metaphysics, and I can't think of a better principle or methodology to, especially to our youth um, who are under, you know, an extraordinary amount of pressure on mindset and heart set. Uh, and the game principle uh, really applies to everyone and especially to our youth. So thank you so much for being someone who is inspiring and empowering so many to be happy. As Sadhguru told me, it, it you know empowered me and said, "Oh, thank goodness you're around to help me." Because his mission is to empower the whole world to be happy. I just took on over a billion people uh, with you in our corner. We know we'll get there a lot faster. So keep writing the books, keep teaching, and keep uh, spreading the word and how important gratitude, acceptance, intention, and non-judgment are. So thank you. Likewise to both of you, you guys are doing great work, and uh, I hope we can have another conversation together in the future. Oh, it's I'm guaranteed, my friends. All right, happy to come back anytime. Yeah, we got plenty of platforms. We're going to be reaching out to you, Greg. Yeah, we're going to get you on a couple of different podcasts, Greg, if you don't mind, just to promote the book because, uh, yeah, yeah, there's just a whole lot of stuff I want to say here. We're out of time. <laughs> so, check out. Thank you, Thank you both there, very much. You got it, GregHammerMD.com. Gain without pain. Uh, book has come out in May of 2020. So check it out. It's a handbook to happiness. Could you ask for more? I don't think so. All right, moving right along. They book us up here. You know, too many people want to come on this thing. You're too popular, Blaine. Everybody wants to talk. Uh, That's got to be it.
they line up. Thank God we don't have Cynthia on here. Everybody would want to come on. We'd never, know, yeah. we, we'd have to have a date, like a long four hour, five hour show. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, let's bring, let's bring John Wasson. Yeah, right yeah. CEO of Hello. Profit Isle, ProfitIsle.com. Uh, 30 years of experience in the same sort of uh, industries that I have worked in from marketing supply chain marketing innovation. Supply, yeah. But I'm really, uh, I'm a profit guy. And not profit, P R O P A T. I'm P. I'm a profit guy, the P R O F I T, because I believe in passion, purpose, and profitability to making a lot of money to help a lot of people and have a lot of fun. I have learned my relationship to money, and you seem to be uh, someone who is aligned with that philosophy of abundance and how important profit is. I think especially to entrepreneurs, they overlook it sometimes. Um, so, what put you onto this? Uh, focus on profit uh, over, you know, doing business, understanding, you know, certain things that other people teach. How has profit became such an important component of what you teach? Well, I think what really comes down to is um, the experiences that we've had, my partner, Jonathan Burns and I, when we were doing our consulting practice, we would go to these um, executive meetings and we were at one in particular where uh, the whole executive team was sitting around the table it was the end of the year. Each person was recapping their year. And every single the marketing person said, I hit my numbers, great year. Salesperson said, I hit my numbers, great year. Operations person said, hit my numbers, great year. And the HR person said, hit my numbers, great year. And the CEO says, how is it I'm the only one at the table that missed my numbers? <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's one of those things that you, companies have created all these metrics to try to measure the pieces, but the true metric is profitability. And unfortunately, as the world has gotten more complicated, the metrics of uh, actually understanding profitability enough to, to really make a big difference haven't evolved as fast. The P&L was created by humans, you know, almost 100 years ago, and it was designed for humans. And to really get the P&L into the digital age, you really have to start driving the profit and loss statement down to the invoice line level of every transaction. You have to see the profit being made sort of step by step by step by each individual transaction. And when you do that, you get different patterns. You get different ways to look at the world. And, and that, we think, is, is, is incredibly important. We've, done, we've put about over $100 billion of revenue through our model. And I can tell you for a fact that gross margin does not correlate to profit. And, and most companies in the world are still running on top line revenue and gross margin as the two key metrics because it's relatively easy to measure. But that's not what's really driving it. And once you understand that, you make different and better decisions. So that's, that's what happened for us. And, and we ended up helping people begin to see these numbers and then make better decisions about where to put their resources in their company. You know, as, as, you know, top line, bottom line, uh, it, just in terms of what you're doing with this, John, uh, you, you, I'm going to just dumb this down a whole bunch here uh, in one sense. How is, yeah, how, how does cost accounting come into play around this? Yeah, as you step this down right through this, the structure of the system. Well, the thing about cost accounting um, is it worked for everything. So the big ERP systems, the big enterprise resource planning systems, got as far as they could 
you know, in the late 80s and the 90s and into the 2000s, they basically started doing a pretty good job of keeping track up to the things that they could keep track of. But then all the overheads, the cost of rent, uh, the overhead of all of your business um, is hanging out there and it never gets assigned. It's sort of like, oh, we made money at, at this level, but it didn't account for the fact that I have $100 million of capital tied up. It doesn't account for the fact that I have 250 people in the back office trying to figure out what the heck happened. Uh, all of those things are real and especially real for small businesses because those are the costs that, that people start to lose track of. And once you start assigning them to what's causing those things to exist, you begin to see interesting patterns. And, and I think the most interesting thing is the 80-20 rule is alive and well in business. 20% of your company, or your customers are doing at least 80% of your profit. And what we find consistently is in our, you know, whether it's a small company or a big company, we generally find that 10 to 15% of the customers are doing 100 to 700% of the profit. And when you look at on average across the business, eh, it looks okay. I'm getting 5%, 10% to the bottom line. But what these companies don't realize is they're working twice as hard as they need to because they're making money over here and handing it out over here and they don't, and they can't tell. And yep. that's, that's the big innovation. And that's what we're working with these uh, companies is to get them to understand that so that when they're getting all this cost pressure from the Amazons and these big companies trying to drop their prices and make it harder for them to compete and make it harder for them to stay in business, there are a lot of things they can do to dramatically improve their profitability, despite the fact that the, the prices are coming down once they understand what's happening. And John, to, to, you know, I do a lot of consulting like Blaine in this exact area. And, you know, two of the factors that have changed over the years because of the speed of change uh, is data and building a community. Um, and so I think throwing a, a monkey wrench into someone who is profit oriented, I have to counterbalance that a lot of times with an assessment between the difference of expense and investment. Uh, you know, and there's some great opportunities for those people that will be a little bit more patient for the profit uh, by a reinvestment of that profit, as long as we can keep the key indicators that this is profit being reinvested, it's not an expense. And especially in the small businesses, I don't think that a lot of the business owners can recognize the difference between an expense and a profit investment, a reinvestment of profit. Uh, and it's essential today because a lot of multi-million dollar companies can be built in billion dollar companies, patiently building a database of contacts or a community that they can sell multiple products for a lifetime to by having that emotional attachment and loyalty uh, that can be created today at an extraordinary reach uh, because of especially social media and e-commerce. How have you been able uh, to take your profit model and put it within the context of profit for investment, not expense? Uh, that's a really great question. And the answer is um, we really sort of go against the sort of, you know, all customers are great. We basically say that, you know, there are certain customers that you want to invest more in. One of the things we see consistently is where companies are making their most money, they're generally not paying attention. The squeaky, you know, management has been taught over the years that find the problem, solve the problem, find the problem, solve the problem. That process 
takes the resources away from where everything's going really well. And what, one of the reasons that we've been so successful working with our clients is that the number one recommendation we have is once you find out where you're profitable, that's spend more time with those customers, find out what else you can do for them, find out what they like, what they don't like, because they're the, that's where you're going to get the insights to grow your business. We find people are so distracted by the next thing over the transom. Oh, you know, I heard another customer just talk to me and, and that customer may have shown up for one transaction and it distracted half the salespeople, whereas their most important customer is, is very patiently saying, could you help me with this issue? And, and no one is prioritizing where to pay attention. So what we say is, yes, you definitely want to make strategic decisions, but no, and it's exactly what you just said, David. It's like know where you're investing and know where you're wasting your time. Mm-hmm. And that's the distinction that we make because there's a big difference between investing in future growth and, but, and, and or just being distracted by the next issue that came over the transom that made it to your desk. You know, that's the, the, the discipline that is built into what you're doing at, uh, uh, at Profit Isle. Yeah, you know, I mean, the, the aphorism of you know, energy will follow attention. And it, it, what, what you're essentially doing is you're saying, here's a systematic way of actually funneling attention in, an, in, a, in a business appropriate way so that the energetic is going where it needs to go. And energetic takes a whole lot of forms here. Yeah, the investments, yeah, strategies, I mean, everything else. So You're absolutely right. You know, we end up, I think you really hit the nail on the head there because I tell people that half of change management is just saying, look in this direction. Yeah. (laughs) Just just look. Yep. (laughs) And the change will follow. It's amazing. It happens. (laughs) And to to that point, you know, obviously uh, in the consumer-centric side of being able to identify revenue, easy revenue, maximizing revenue from the best and biggest revenue. I think there's also an analysis that you guys do internally because the same philosophy holds true with employees, managers, and executives that that 80-20 rule, a lot of times we start realizing, hey, this employee is taking up 80% of my time and they're not worth it. Uh, They're not worth it. And so what type of analysis or advice do you give on the internal spectrum of that type of waste? What we generally, our whole approach is first find your strengths and and teach against those strengths. So when it comes to people, um, we spend a lot of time on the sales organization and we find that 80% of the salespeople aren't performing relative to the 20%. And we don't say go get rid of those people. We basically say go to your best salespeople and get them to talk to the organization. Go to them and say, tell them how you're successful. Tell them why you're successful. Lead by example. Um, you know, the joke we always make is, you know, when you do change management, if you, if you turn around and say, hey, we hired these really smart guys out of MIT, they're going to come in and tell you how to do your job. You know, you know it's sort of like, <laughs> you're back in the, the chair. It's like these turkeys are coming in. And what we do is we go in and we go in and say, Ralph, Martha. We just want to say, you are doing an incredible job. Can you tell everyone how you're doing it? Because we've identified that they're driving a huge percentage of the profit. We don't know exactly what they're doing, but they do. And we basically go to the management and say, that's who you want up in front of your sales organization saying, this is what I do to make the business move forward. And that leads the way. 
And that's, that's one of the things that we do time and again is uh, management, when they look at what we call coral reefs, these big loss areas, whether it's people or products or customers, their first reaction is to go solve that problem. And we go, yeah. I know. Your first job is to go talk to your islands of profit. Go talk to the profit peaks where you're making all your money and, and shift your resources there. Because I can guarantee at 95% confidence, you're under-resourced where you're making money. You haven't either paid attention to your people that are making all the money, haven't paid attention to your customers, your suppliers, and the products that are making all the money. Do that first. And, and you're going to be amazed at how much more money you make and then solve your problem. Because problems are hard to solve. Amazing. Energy will follow attention. <laughs> What's the, the last question here, uh, John? What, you know, you've done this uh, both with Profit Isle and before that, you know, Wavemark with some really big companies understanding the global logistics sides of things and, you know, basically the entire flow of business. What are some of the common sense things that you find still surprising when you come into an organization? Uh, you know, I, I, I find that I know Blaine has shared stories with me of, you know, some pretty world famous executives that we work with. And sometimes I'm dumbfounded by what I see or what I'm told. What are some of, you know, don't use names, but mm. some of the things that just are like, are you kidding me? Like, how could this actually be happening? You're a billion dollar, a CEO of a billion dollar company. How is this actually happening? I'll tell you my favorite story because it's just funny. It's, yeah. I like um, money. <laughs> yeah. So we're working with a multi-billion dollar distributor of uh, alcoholic beverages, one of the big ones in the country. And, um, uh, you know, we found that uh, the, the different profitability in their biggest accounts was the frequency of delivery. So, you know, delivering five times a day, uh, five times a week, three times a week, blah, blah, blah. And, and what we found was that the accounts that were roughly the same size, but some were losing a tremendous amount of money and some were making a lot. And we went to the, the executive suite and said, can you explain why these accounts that look almost identical have really different patterns? And they go, we have no clue. Talk to the salespeople. It's their job. So we go talk to the salespeople. And, you know, I ended up having, you know, uh, you know, coffee with this guy. And he finally told me what was going on. Long story short, the CEO was worried that the salespeople were golfing on Fridays. So he made a rule that you, could, you wouldn't get paid for each day unless you got X number of orders in every day. Sales guys are smart. They took a handful of their best-selling, you know, their biggest accounts. They took the orders in the beginning of the week. They just split them in two, and they doubled the number of, of deliveries. They didn't need to do it, but it got the orders in on Friday. That cost that company $15 million. And <laughs> And 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 it was I could like I could literally point to it and say it's fifteen million dollars that that one, you know, it's that sort of random stuff, right? It's you know, I'm pissed off about this. Someone just told me about that, but they're not assistant, you know, systemically addressing how the business is operating. And 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 to your point, it's amazing how that stuff just disseminates through the organization. And once it's been there for a year. It's rote. It's like that's the way we do business. That's the way it is. Yeah. yeah. You know, that there's there's a distinction between making choices and making decisions. And you know, they get conflated. Yeah. Um, and decisions are in certain there's a for the sake of what to the decision making process. It's 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 serving something. Choices, it's kind of like, oh, this feels like the right thing to do. 
it's kind of like, yeah, don't, yeah, I don't want people golfing on Friday. Damn it. Yeah. Choices, <laughs> choices have too many, choices have too many possibilities yeah. and decisions yeah. have one. Uh, and they're usually directed towards, in your case, profit. Uh, John Wass, CEO of Profit Isle, thank you so much for enlightening us. I can tell you, uh, all the people listening have learned. It's what I call today's one of those MBA in a day uh, type of thing. So thank you so much for leveraging well, thank you. situational knowledge and the dummy tax that you witnessed and paid yourself. So thanks for enhancing uh, our, our show. We appreciate you. Well, thank you so much for having me. Bye-bye. Awesome. Great guest. Thanks, John. All right. Take CEO ProfitIsle, ProfitIsle.com. John Wass, we've had some uh, deep thinkers on here. I mean, wow. You know, they talk about you. Smartest one in the room, you're in the wrong room. Well, I'm personally in the right room, uh, without a doubt. And we're about to elevate it to the next level. I've known this person for a very long time. He's even smarter than he looks. CEO and founder of the Trusted Authority. Uh, Unlock the Game is his game. Unlockthegame.com. He has a free uh, intro course and has a different sales approach. Uh, Talk about making money and helping people, uh, you know, Unlocking the game, making sales easy. That's what Ari Galper is all about. Ari, welcome to Office Hours, my friend. Thanks, Dave. Good to, good to see you again. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Oh, this is going to be good awesome. To meet you, Ari. I, I had to bring you on my show because I've been dying to hear the secrets, you know, of trust and integrity of how this unlocks the game and, you know, what you're offering and helping people without wasting time, energy, and emotion. Uh, that is always my goal in sales to help people get out of their own way. And you've told me many times, uh, Dave, I got, I got this. I got this secret, man. You're going to just be blown away how simple this is. And I've been in sales almost my whole life. I was a natural born salesman, which you are probably someone that can attest to since I think you've known me since I've been nine. Uh, so uh, can we unlock the game? What are the things that you're teaching to stop salespeople from chasing the wrong things, from utilizing waste, as John just talked about? What is unlocking the game? Sure. First of all, thanks for having me. I appreciate it, David. Good to see you again. Uh, Look, uh, for the last 20 years, my mission has been to help people stop chasing what I call ghosts. People who show interest in their product, send a proposal, hey, I'm on to buy what you got, and end that whole game. Now, the story behind this is what what happened. They'll kind of rock your world. So about 20 years ago, I worked for a, a software company. I managed 18 people underneath me, sales reps. And we launched the first online website tracking tools back then. It's called now it's called Google Analytics. Back then it was something else. And uh, uh, the leads came across my desk were big opportunities. This one cat- contact gave us a call. Big company, big deal. If I close one sale, double the revenue in one transaction. Uh, so they agreed to a conference call with a live demo to see our product. They finally came four o'clock in the afternoon. I'm in the conference room with my CEO, a closer behind me, big long conference table in the middle of the table speakerphone on that table and I hit the dial tone, dial the number, my guy I call in. The guy's like, hey Ari, hey, how's it going? Good. He says to me, Ari, let me tell you who's with us in the room today. I said, great. Next thing I hear is my name's Chris. I'm CEO. Oh, this is good. My name's Mike. I'm head of global IT. Even better. My name's Julia. I'm head of global marketing. I mean, everybody on this call was a decision maker, right? Like if it's gonna happen, it's gonna happen now. So I introduced myself. I uh, gave them a live demo over the web of our product. I started showing them all the information that we do for them. And they started asking me all kinds of questions. How does it work? How do we install it? I mean, there was so much chemistry on this phone call. It was like 
a love fest on the phone. You know what I'm talking about with the sales opportunity? Like there's no resistance. I mean, this is like the perfect sales call. We're going back and forth for an hour. They're loving it. I'm answering all their questions. They're so excited. End of the call, they said to me, Ari, this is great. We love it. Give us a call a couple of weeks. Follow up with us and we'll move this thing forward. I said to myself, oh, thank you, God. What a dream come true. I said my goodbyes, took my arm in my hand to hit the off button on the phone. I'm reaching for the off button. By complete accident, I hit the mute button instead of the off button. And a small click happened, and they thought I hung up the phone. That split second, a voice inside of me said, Ari, go to the dark side. Be a fly in the wall. Go where never, no one's ever gone in the world of sales before. And I listened for a couple of seconds. They started talking about themselves, thinking I had left the call. Now, what would you expect them to say in the call? Not a trick question. What would you imagine they would have said after a call like that? Oh, it went great. What you know? What what are we going to budget? Next steps. Next step stuff. Exactly. You expect that after a call like that. But let me tell you guys what they said. Word for word, I'll never forget. It. That's why we're all here today. What they said was they said we're not going to go with him. Keep using him for more information. And make sure we shop someplace else cheaper. Knife and heart twist. Dave, I was in a state of shock. I could not believe it. I snapped out of it, hit the off button. Little wall said to myself, what did I do wrong? I was professional. I was competent. And the first big epiphany hit me. And that was this. So somewhere along the way, it has become socially acceptable not to tell the truth to people who sell. Right? It's okay to say things like, sounds good, send me information. Oh, wait, we're definitely interested. Hold on, send us a proposal without any intention of buying, right? Yeah. Yep. And that was the big wake-up call. And I realized I got to create a new way of thinking around this. I got to invent a new mindset shift called Unlock the Game, where the idea is you let go of the end goal of the sale and you focus only on trust building with people where they feel comfortable telling you up front well, the truth is you don't chase people and end up playing the numbers game. That's the whole concept behind trust-based selling. I love it. And one of the greatest lessons I learned in life and in sales is an interesting uh, alignment with your trust and uh, in integrity in the Unlock the Game is I still trust everyone, but I bet the crap out of them. So I was <laughs> the same type of lighthearted salesperson, uh, very energetic, very uh, chameleon-like. On, on my side, I was matching the lying energy, the overselling energy, the manipulative energy with the energy they were giving me and expecting somehow my energy would get something different back. But when I started to vet the crap out of my clients, right, asking hard questions that I was afraid would embarrass them or I would, would made me uncomfortable, let alone them uncomfortable. Like, you know, I, I've, I've been training people like you for years and they never ask, okay, what is your budget, right? And where does that come from? And what's the process? Do I need to be an approved vendor? You know, really get into details where you start making them work as if they are going to get the deal done. They'll back out of it immediately. If they have to start processing, uh, we have a problem. Go ahead, Yari. Well, your goal, as you're saying, is to get the truth with them, not the yeah. sale. Find Correct. out where they stand so you're not playing the numbers game and chasing ghosts the whole time and hoping at the end you'll get the deal. Because it turns out we discovered the sales now lost at the beginning of the process and not the end. It's lost at hello. And I'll prove it to you right now in a fun way. If someone calls your office tomorrow morning, you hear, hi, my name is, I'm with, we are a, what goes through your mind in about three seconds? 
hang up. <laughs> it's over to hello. So I'm not suggesting that you guys are all making cold calls, but I will suggest that many of the deals are being lost at the beginning and not the end of the process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What would you have done differently knowing what you know now with that scenario you just described? Beautiful question. I get that a lot. And if I would, I, what I would have done now, 20 years backwards, is here's the thing. I never would have had the call. Yeah. Because I would have figured out in the first call with the guy the truth of where he stood. Yeah. No, you would have wasted your hour. And never would have showed up because I wouldn't know the agenda, the plan. I'll give you a quick story. This goes real tight to this scenario. I had a call recently came to my office, got to my team, got to me, unscheduled call. I picked up the phone. I heard Mr. Galper. I said, Yeah. My name is John Johnson. Change the name of the guy. I'm with XYZ Company, big company. And we're looking to bring someone to change our whole sales culture as far as looking at you and two other people. We'd like to know, first of all, why should we go with you? Why are you the best? And give me your best sales pitch. He says this to me on an inbound call. Yeah. So uh, he's in the game. He's playing the game. And I'm not in the game. I'm locking it. So I took a deep breath. I relaxed. And I said to him, well, isn't that interesting? There's a long pause. Now, don't worry. There's more coming now. I said, <laughs> over here at our company, we have a very similar process to you, where we ask a couple questions, gather information, we see if we're a good fit. And if we're a good fit, we decide where to go from there. And I said to him, would you be open to that? That's all I said him on the phone. Next thing I heard on the phone, dead silence, not a word. And then he just breathed across. He just... He's relaxed, he's like he became himself again. He lowers his voice and he says to me, uh, okay, what kind of questions do you have for me? Next thing I discover, one, he's not a decision maker. Two, he has no budget. And three, he just curious as to what I do. And off he went five minutes later to YouTube, find my stuff. I hung up the phone. Now, what did my process just save me months of? Yeah. Yeah. Chasing. Yep. Chasing. Yeah. Pursuing yeah. the numbers game. Actually, this drug in our bodies called hopium. You know the hopium drug? Yeah. I love that. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Hopium. We're just so excited. We're like, woohoo, I got the call. Big deal pending. Guess what, honey? Fiji's here. It's the big deal. You're so excited. And you call the back, you get their voicemail, like, what? He's not even there. You go to your laptop and you go, hi, I'm writing you to what? To follow up. Follow I'm up. Gonna ask- I'm going to ask all your listeners right now to take a remove from the vocabulary this phrase forever, never use it again after today. Here it is. Never again use word follow-up for the rest of your career as of today. And I'm sure right now if I raise, raise people's hands, they all go, I used that last week. I'm calling to follow-up. What's the only industry in the world that uses the word follow-up? Yeah, sales. Sales. Clock, 1980s, checking in, touching base. Following up, these are all old languages. Yeah, solution, solution selling list. The it's solution like, it's selling like, list. God, 1980s. Like we're so stuck in that mode. You know, so I used we, to have our, we have our own language set that we've invented that replaces that. Here's an example. Ryan yeah. said to somebody, I'm giving you a call to follow up. Here's what you say instead. I'm giving you a call to see if you have any feedback on our previous conversation any feedback on our last meeting, 
any feedback. Feedback's going away from the sale, not towards the sale. You see, when you go towards the sale, you create resistance and momentum that pushes yeah. them back. When you go the opposite direction, they come to you and they tell you the truth. It's a fact. When you say to somebody, any feedback on our last meeting, it just rolls out. It comes out out of nowhere. It's amazing. Yeah. To, to that point, you know, I've utilized go, no go plans for years uh, in alignment and integrity uh, that allows them to have permission number one, to say no, but to tell you the truth. So, you know, I mm -hmm. will always say that I have had more salespeople think they're done when somebody tells them yes. You know, so even beyond we're interested, but yes, I want to move forward. Give me the paperwork to sign. You're 20% of the way there from the 35 years of experience I have in this game. And that's yeah. why I don't send the paperwork to sign. I send a go, no-go plan uh, that takes far past the signing of the agreement. I on a go no go plan before I send an agreement, I'll say on this date, you know, if everything looks okay, we'll sign an agreement. Two days after that, I'll sell, send this. And then after that, each step of the way, you will let me know and give me feedback, right? To make sure we're maximizing the opportunity and the pro productivity or the profitability between the two of us. Does that sound fair? Um, to that end, you know, a lot of this stuff is, uh, up front, but one of the areas I wanted to talk in, and we got a couple minutes, so I'm really curious about this one. One of the new nuances of mine is that I don't look for specific avatars anymore because of the reach that I have and everyone has via social media. We don't have a brick and mortar store with 300,000 people. I don't have a billboard anymore. I have access to about 8 billion people or so. Um, but one of the areas that I see statistical success is all I do is look for people with open minds in the in the stimulating interest part of, of prospecting open minds and, and figure out are they a sponsor meaning do you know anyone that can help me or a power sponsor you yourself can help me and you know someone but the critical mathematical uh distinction of has created exponential success for me is i have learned to get people to call me back see it, it's one thing that you know how to do that when you're on the phone but how do you teach people because 80% of the people will not email you back, call you back, DM you back, get back to you because people don't know or practice getting people to call you back. What do you utilize in the integrity state of trust on unlocking the game to increase your statistical success because more people have conversations with you because you get them to call you, email you, or DM you back? So the way you build trust with people for them to jump your direction is by focusing in on their problem and not the solution. See, we're so conditioned to present our offer, to show them what we got. What we don't do is go deep enough around their issues. And what I mean by that is like a doctor-patient relationship. If you're able to articulate your market's issues better than they can, that creates resonance, a vibration, where they say to themselves, this guy just gets me. He understands my world. Maybe he can help me. You see, what I discovered is this, that your ideal clients care less about how you solve their problem. What they care about is if you're the one to solve it or not. The entire time they're asking themselves, do I trust him? Do I trust him? Not, not is this solution for me? And that's the bridge we have to combine together to really build that trust at hello. Yeah, well, Ryan Surrey said, I was going to say, Ryan Surrey said best when he's like, Hey, people don't want to be sold or they, they don't want to buy things. They want to go shopping with a friend. 
Uh, and that's that frequency or vibration that makes us feel good as we shop with friends. Uh, but go ahead, Blaine, finish off. Well, I was just going to say, maybe metaphorically, we, we laughed at this when we first heard it, David. Yeah, going into the hardware store to buy a drill. You're not buying a drill, you're buying a hole. So the, the right. problem that I'm solving here, tell me about your hole. Or tell me, yeah. I'm not going to sell you the drill right now. Just tell me more about that hole. Yeah, what kind of beveling do you want with it? I mean, I, I, I can do a lot of holes. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, man, you really yeah, understand. Exactly. Look, a doctor diagnoses. He doesn't pitch the, the medicine. He diagnoses right. first. What do we do in sales? We say, hey, look what we got. It's great. It'll help you. I promise it'll help you. We don't take a step back and build trust first. We just sell first. Yeah. And I'll, I'm going to have you back because I want to talk about the other side of, of a sale, which is, you know, my methodology of, you know, articulating a quantitative value to exceed what we're asking for. Uh, it's another mismeasure. People think because they know in their heart and in their mind and in their practice, because they do it all day, that it's inherent in the prospect or the consumer that, hey, they must know the articulated value, but you actually have to be capable of articulating the value, like you said, at a frequency of what they hear to exceed what you're asking for, which is the mathematical success, success of, of any great sale. Ari, thank you so much. We'll have you back, my friend, unlockthegame.com, expert founder of Trusted Authority, Unlock the Game, dear friend of mine. I consider him family. So uh, you are on the, the legendary hall of fame of our neighborhood. Uh, it's amazing we live doors down as children, and here we are with our mentor, Blaine Bartlett. So thanks for joining us. Awesome. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Great job, thanks, man. Thank We're talking to you again. <laughs> I used to carpool with him. That's how long I've known him, his sister and I and him uh, to Hebrew school and he, Hebrew high school. And, uh, you know, just uh, it's so much fun to see someone all grown up and always extremely intelligent and, and you know obviously growing up in san diego successful in the software business and his company became google analytics uh and you know he drove that sales uh for us he knows he knows this stuff and it's funny though we both have such shared vibration frequency and ideas he lives down under in australia uh now and yet you know here, here we are we probably have been friends for 48 years or so, <laughs> not to age us. Uh, so uh, pre pre pretty cool. Um, anyway, what a great day, uh, you know, uh, one after another. Yeah, and uh, as always, I love to get uh, the learn.blamebartlett.com forward slash LMM, the mindset mastermind takeaway, uh, you know, what you're thinking is a great takeaway for today. Uh, well, I'm just real quick on the mastermind. I'm going to be launching yeah. the new mastermind program. Um, what the uh, do, 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 the 16th, no, the 9th, the 9th. So check it Is out, guys. Monday, yeah. Monday the 9th of August, yeah. Monday the 9th of August, Monday the 9th of August. We're going to be launching a new new setup on this. We got a virtual reality platform that's part of it. I mean, it's it's uh, we got some very good stuff that uh, we're putting into this thing. Uh, you know, Blaine, so. my, my brand has grown so much. People ask me who's my mentor, and it makes me so proud that I always tell them Blaine Bartlett. And if you're not the, the way you have shifted my mindset and heart set in my life, uh, you know, especially with time and, and how to utilize time and intertwine time, and you know, your mentoring to me and friendship is uh, in relationships, uh, you know, just have exponentially grown. And I just say that because I want people to know that this is a lifetime opportunity to get to work with you. 
you know, changed my, I was already on my way when we met uh, and in my transformation, but boy, uh, you were a rocket fuel in my life to success. And if you want rocket fuel, the Mindset Mastermind is where you want to go. So uh, check it out. August 9th, Monday. Go ahead. Go to learn.blainbartlett.com forward slash LMM. All right. Now I've earned my takeaway. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. I, I wasn't anticipating that, and I appreciate it very much and very greatly. Of course. Well, speaking I'm of, from speaking of time real quick here, I've got a conversation that we're going to have about space, time, and gravity. Nice. I got something for you on that that I think you're going to find really fascinating in terms of how it actually. Maybe you. maybe we can do it on the show. We can have the conversation as a as a instead of a guest. You and I can take 15, 20 minutes and have that conversation. I'd love to that, because it's a hoot. I mean, I've been playing with this and it's just kind of. Oh, I can't. I I love it, man. Law of gravity, love Goya, and the law of attraction are all interrelated to those yeah, things. So I'd love to have Matt make a note here. make a note of that so we can do a show. Blaine and I on time, space, and gravity. Awesome. All right. Takeaway for the day. Takeaway today. Uh, you know, I, I loved, you know, where Ari was coming from around uh, the whole, again, it's relationship for me. It's all, it always comes down to relationship, but the, the, the distinction between making choices and making a decision. So, yeah, the decision to not go for the sale, the decision to develop the relationship and the understanding of what's going on here, the decision to start with gratitude yeah, uh, in the face of loss or in the face of stress. The decision is focused around a for the sake of what? And this is something that I think people miss over and over and over again is, you know, it, it really is not so much ready, fire, aim, it's fire, ready, aim. And it's just kind of like, stop it. For the sake of what are you doing things in your life? Because that sets up your future. It literally does. It sets up your future. So um, my, my hat's off to all three of our guests today. They were just extraordinary in their own way in, in kind of illustrating that point. Yeah, for me. I, really, <laughs> I, I, love, I love that. And for me, the takeaway, and it really resonated uh, personally with me, where do you spend your time, mm -hmm. right? And so, you know, Dr. Greg Hammer, you know, talked about where are you going to spend your time in gratitude or in grief, in pain, or, right? Or suffering, where are you going to spend your time? And then I thought John was genius on the economic sense. You know, are you spending your time, right? With the clients that deserve to be spent time with, profitable ones mm -hmm. or employees, that you know are can teach and empower others with the mechanisms that made them successful. Where are you spending your time? And then in sales, right? Where are you spending? Are you spending it chasing ghosts? You know, or have you done the work to find out? Hey, this is where I should spend my time. And what it related to me is, you know, an inherent quantum problem or challenge that I have personally and that I coach about all the time is, you know, having the chutzpah to not spend time with people that are bleeding me or people oh, yeah. that aren't feeding me. And, you know, it's not just sales. It's, it's not just gratitude. It's, it's not just profit. You know, it, it stems to, are you going to waste your time chasing somebody's approval that you may not even like, or somebody's opinion that you may not even care about? You know, I remember my wife, I was at the dinner table with, you know, Miles wasn't born yet. Who's my son. For those that don't know, three young daughters and 
adore my kids and my wife and the phone rang and I walked away during dinner and I was away for 35 minutes. When I came back, everybody was done, right? And my wife yeah. was cleaning up. I moved it to the counter from the table to food and she looks over at me and, and Julie said, why do you care more about people that you don't even know or you barely know or you barely care about and you tell me that you care about us? Where are you spending your time? Where are you yeah. spending your time? And we do it unintentionally because yeah. I will tell you in my hearts of all hearts that it, when I started to get focused on where am I spending my time, if somebody gave me a choice, do you want to have dinner with your kids and your wife or do you want to sit on the sidelines at the Super Bowl? I'm going to dinner with my kids and my wife today because I know I'm intentional about where I'm spending my time. And other people are not intentional where they're spending their time. So I think for me, I took a little bit more time to express this because it's a huge takeaway to remind, remember, and recollect to everyone. You need to know what's important to you and spend your time in profit with the people that can buy, with people that are gracious, that will make you and feed you, feed them. If they bleed you, either fall away or fire them from your life uh, and you will be utilizing your time in a more productive, accessible, and gracious, gracious manner. And that's why I spend my Thursdays with you because uh, it's a conscious, intentional effort to spend my time with someone that feeds me. So thank you so much. Yeah, I, and, and David, you, you couldn't have illustrated the point around choice or decision any more elegantly, I think, than what you just did right there. I get, you know, I get choices about where I spend my time all the time, but I make decisions. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, the decision is to spend time with my wife. The choice yeah. could be, ah, the tug of the Super Bowl. That's kind of cool. And yeah, the decision. Or answering a, or answering a phone call, right? Answering, answering a phone, a phone call. call. Absolutely. Or showing up at three o'clock on a Thursday afternoon to sit here with you. You got it, my friend. Learn.blamearlet.com forward slash LMM. Sign up for August 9th, the new mastermind with a whole virtual reality and interaction that will enhance the education and enhance your enlightenment like it has mine. Blaine, thank you so much for joining me. I'll see you in a couple of days, I'm sure. Thanks. Absolutely, buddy. Take care. You got it. All right. We did it right on time. Speaking of time, you'll catch me and Blaine talking about space and time and gravity all together in a session. Tomorrow's my training. Uh, we are doing a 6 a.m. Ask Me Anything BYOQ. You bring the questions, I'll bring the answers. 6 a.m. Pacific time, 9 a.m. Eastern time, a combination of Clubhouse, Instagram Live, and my training. Join me. You will not, not regret that decision. I promise. We're going to. Bring it and feed you at 6 a.m. Have your breakfast with the breakfast of champions and uh, join us. If you have or need anything, just email me, david at dmelter.com. But most importantly, be kind to your future self and do good deeds. I'll see you tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. Pacific time. Thanks so much.